Welcome back. Um, this is a great time of year, isn't it? I mean, everybody likes the springtime. The springtime is the time where everything that didn't look like it was alive over the winter is starting to come back to life, right? Um, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise us that, I mean, we just want, just want to rejoice with you a little bit. Before we get started today, I want to just take a minute and rejoice with you because in that vein, we have had a, a bunch of new families in our church that have had new babies. And uh, so we want to throw some of the pictures up so you can kind of see that. There you go. Malachi Kanban. Look at that. That's awesome. All right. Graham Herman. There he is. They all, it's really just one baby. They're all the same. No. <laughs> Sophia Warner. Craig and Katie. Okay. Next. Look at that. Benjamin Harstein. He's got a necktie on. Isn't that awesome? That's so cool. What a great picture. Um, I think we got another one too, right? Bingham Harding. Fantastic. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I mean, it's really fantastic that, um, I mean, God's just blessed and our church is going to grow one way or another. It's awesome. And we have, and there's other ladies expecting and, it, you know, it's just a, it's a great time, man. Listen, all babies are cute, amen? I mean, even the ugly babies, they're cute. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. In your notes, I started out with a verse of scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. And verse number 1, it says, To everything there's a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And it goes on in verse 2 and and the following verses to list all the different times of different things and seasons of life. And the first one that's mentioned is a time to be born, and a time to die, and a time to plant, and a time... Okay, so it, it goes on all the way down, but... Every thing in life has a season. Everything in life has its own time. And so, you know, when little kids or little newborn babies, I mean, they're cute and they're awesome and, you know, all the work that it takes to take care of them, you don't mind because they're just great. I mean, anything that has a head that big has got to be cute. I mean, it's just awesome. (laughs) But... When you pass the time of infancy, and now you're a school-age kid, or now you're a teenager, or now, God forbid, you're an adult, and you still act like a baby, it ain't cute anymore. In fact, it's embarrassing. It's actually kind of revolting. So spiritually, we're, we're studying the book of 1 Peter, and if you haven't yet, you can open the book, uh, your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. And we finished chapter 1 last time, and we'll be in chapter 2 today. And spiritually speaking, we saw at the end of last week that in verse number 23, it says, being born again. And we understand that spiritually speaking, when you repent of your sins and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible uses the term born again. Uh, Before I was a Christian, I used to hear that term, and I just thought it was a weird term that those Jesus freak people use. It's a Bible term. Jesus used it with Nicodemus. And we literally have a new birth, a new life in Christ as God gives life to our spirit that previously had no life. And so rolling into chapter number 2, for example, in verse number 2 it says, As newborn babes... Okay, so that is the picture that God is giving us. When a person is newly saved, then that person is compared to a brand newborn baby. 
And, and brand new born babies are awesome. They're cute. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. And brand new Christians are awesome. They're wonderful. It's great to be around them. It's new life. It's exciting. It's a wonderful time. But when a person has been saved for a while, let me just throw out more than three years. If you've been saved more than three years, you have had ample time to start to grow up. And if you haven't taken the opportunity to do the things necessary, and that's what today is all about, we're going to see what God says we should do if we want to actually grow up. And you should want to do that, of course. And so if a person who's been saved three or more years still continues to act like a baby spiritually, well, it's embarrassing. We as pastors, we spend a fair amount of our time counseling people with problems, and that's part of what we do. That's fine. And we actually spend, in my opinion, more than our fair share of time dealing with complaints. You know how the saying goes, right? You can please some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. And that's true in all aspects of life. And although I certainly understand that every, every situation that people come across is unique and based on over 30 years of experience that I have in the ministry, I would say that the lion's share of the problems that I have to deal with could be summarized with one common bit of advice. Grow up. Just grow up. In fact, I was tempted one day to write a book on counseling. But it would be a very short book. <laughs> you just read it. <laughs> you see, it's weird to me how grown-up adult people who are able to behave themselves respectably in a workplace environment somehow disconnect that level of growth and maturity when it comes to their spiritual behavior. As a result, they make a mess all over themselves and others have to come and clean it up. You know, that's what babies do. Now, if you are newly saved, if you have just come to know the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus and you are figuring out what this life is all about and you're not even sure which end is up, but you are, man, you're new to the family. We're so glad to have you. We're so thrilled that even with whatever mess your previous life carried over into this life, who cares? We are here to help you. Man, it thrills my heart to be able to be involved with people who have just come to know the Lord and they don't know anything and, and everything you share with them is new and their eyes are wide open and it's just a wonderful experience. But when people who ought to know better still behave that way, it's not that wonderful. So today we're going to take some time and look at how to solve that problem and how we can grow. This is a very simple passage of Scripture, and it really doesn't require a ton of explanation. I'm going to try and illustrate it and bring it home for you today. So chapter 2 is where we're at, and we're only looking at the first three verses. And it starts off 
as the Bible frequently does, continuing a previous thought. It starts off, wherefore? And the wherefore, again, goes back to what we saw, starting in chapter 1 and verse number 23, um, where it says, being born again. So we're talking about people who have come to know new life in Christ. And it talks about how we were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the word of the Lord is the thing that has given you, it is the seed that has grown in your life to give you eternal, it's eternal seed, it's given you eternal life. But the fleshly part of your life, the daily details of this earthly life, well, that's like the grass, that's like the flowers. There's coming a day when all that's going to pass away. And as we see when we get into chapter 2 now, the characteristics of that old life also need to pass away. And we need to, every day, more and more, live our life according to the very thing that gave us life. And that's the Word of God. And that's what we're going to see as we look at our passage today. Again, there's just three short verses. The title I've given it is, It's Time to Grow Up. So just follow with me. I'm going to read the first three verses in 1 Peter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word today, we are so very thankful that you have given to us this unbelievable gift. Your Holy Spirit has inspired and preserved for us sincere milk. And Lord, we desire to take it in. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves in the mirror that is your word. And help each and every one of us, wherever we may be. Maybe some are struggling and need to kind of realize it's time to grow up. Maybe others have been doing great and they can just rejoice knowing, thank the Lord I'm not where I used to be. He has grown me. Whatever the case is, Lord, I pray, and especially for those who might be here saying, I don't even know if I'm born again. This would be the day that we honor you with our lives. Change us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two simple points in your outline today, and we're going to start with the very first one, starve the flesh. That's that's how you're going to begin to grow up. You need to starve your flesh. That's verse number one, okay, where it says, laying aside some things, malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, evil speakings. The Lord gives us five specific characteristics of our old lives. I refer to that as B.C. Before Christ in my life, these would have been for sure characteristics, and at some level they're characteristics of all of our lives before Jesus Christ. But now that we are new, now that we are born again, now that we are as newborn babes, we need to lay aside those things from our old life, and we need to put them down. We need to not pick them up and play with them anymore. I thought about this this week, and I don't know what the kids are doing today, but many years ago, I remember the middle school group, back when my kids were younger, there was a fad going around. 
And the deal was that middle school kids thought it was cool, and they, they would have a pacifier hanging around their neck on a string. They even came up with, like, candy pacifiers. I don't know if they still got those or not. I thought, that is the dumbest thing in the world. Why in the world would a kid who's finally a young teenager want to walk around, you know, you know, and think that's a cool thing? Look, man, there's times to lay things aside, right? Lay the passy down, man. It's time to move on. Well, in this case, spiritually speaking, there's some things we need to lay aside. Malice. Well, malice is similar to hatred. Malice is when you have ill will towards another. Malice is when you would desire somebody else's hurt. Guile. Guile is duplicity. Guile is deceit. Guile is double talk. Guile is saying one thing, but really meaning another. Guile's deception. Politicians are experts at guile. Politicians make a living by saying to the people what they want to hear, knowing full well they have no intention whatsoever of doing what they say. The Bible says we're to lay that aside. Generally speaking, I have found that there's a fair percentage of people in the world that don't like straight talk. They don't like for you to give it to them waist high across the plate. That bothers them. But let me tell you a little bit about straight talk. There's no guile in it. There's no guile in it. It's not deceptive because we're supposed to lay guile aside. Hypocrisies. Pretending to be something that you're not. Opposer. Literally, the word is the word that we could use like for an actor in Hollywood. An actor plays a role that is not his real life. He's playing a role. That's his job, to play a role. That is literally the definition. We could say that a hypocrite is somebody who is a professor of something, but they are not the possessor of that thing. So... We would, could include the fact that some people may just have insincere motivations for the things that they do. Arguably, hypocrisy among Christian people is the number one excuse given why some of your unsaved friends won't ever set foot in a church. Oh, there's hypocrites in the church. By the way, if they ever say that to me, I always say, well, you ought to come. You ought to fit right in. That's just me. You figure your way. I mean, that's just the way I do it. I mean, look, man, we're all a little hypocrite. I mean, come on. But we're to lay that aside. Envies. Well, envy is the bad version of jealousy. Uh, Jealousy can have a positive connotation. The Bible says very clearly God is a jealous God. He's jealous for your love. He's jealous for your devotion. God loves you and wants an exclusive relationship With you, there can be positive sides to jealousy, but not envy. Envy is malicious. Envy is covetous. People have things that you don't have, 
So you're envious of those things or those people. Envy is listed among many other things as a work of the flesh that will cause you to lose your millennial inheritance. We find this in Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? And you have the whole list of all the things that are up there among which are envies. And so when you get to this, it's verse 21 has envies if you go to the next one. There you go. And at the end, they do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's an inheritance that's lost if you live your life that way, if you allow the flesh to control you. And then there's evil speakings. Evil speakings are maybe self-explanatory. Other ways that the Bible uses this term might be lies, blasphemies, filthy communication, foolish talking, jesting, or gossip. And so... Jesus made it clear in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 45 where he said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So we have a tendency as human beings to track the language of people as they talk to us. You don't think about it, you just do it. Wow, they've been talking this way. They've been talking this way. Well, I wonder what they're thinking. Why do, we think, why do we come to that conclusion? Because that's the way it works. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And so evil speakings are a sign that there's evil down deep inside. So in your notes, I put it this way. These are indicators of your old life, controlled by the flesh. The presence of these things in your life hinder your spiritual growth. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are put away. All things are become new. We need to put off the old man, the fleshly man, in his deeds, the works of the flesh, and we need to put on the new man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the spiritual man. If you possess new life in Christ, but you live according to these things that feed your flesh, you'll never grow. They'll hinder your growth. So you need to starve your flesh of these things. By laying them aside. If you glance a little further down in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 11, which we'll look at next week, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So fleshly lusts are things that are warring actively against your soul. So you need to abstain from those things. You need to put them away. You need to starve that out so that it has no strength in your life. Galatians chapter 6, or chapter 5, excuse me, verses 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In Romans chapter 8, 12 and 13, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, oh, not to the flesh, to live after the deeds of the flesh. But if you live after the flesh, you shall die But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. 
That's new life. That's spiritual life. That's abundant life. But you've got to mortify. You've got to put to death. You've got to lay aside. You've got to abstain from these fleshly uh, thoughts and and attitudes and actions. You've got to put them aside. If you don't, you're going to remain a baby far beyond the time and season of life that is beautifully carved out for you to be one. If you don't, then you'll just continue to get mad. You'll continue to complain. Maybe you're mad at me now. I don't know. You're going to continue to embarrass yourself. Well, listen. As any alcoholic or addict or a person who's tried to get on a diet knows very well. I put this in your notes. Willpower alone isn't enough to quit a learned behavior without replacing it with something better. You know that's true. If you've got a bad habit in your life, it's really hard to just say, I'll never do that again, if you don't replace it with a good habit. You need to replace the bad with something good. Like on a diet, you're never going to really enjoy the flavor of veggies and fruit if you're constantly eating junk food and cake. So you start laying aside the bad stuff so that you can develop a taste for something better, right? And that's point number two in your outline, feed your soul. So you're going to starve your flesh and you're going to feed, and you're going to feed your soul. That's what you need to do. It's just that simple. It's not hard. This is simple. The Bible's not hard to understand, right? Sometimes hard to believe. Sometimes it's hard to put into practice. But that's only if you're trying to do it. If you would just surrender to it and let the Lord do it through you, it actually works pretty good. So it says in verse number 2, Desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. So again I say, unless you happen to be in the category of people who are recently saved, it's time to grow up. And this is how you grow up. Everybody knows that a newborn baby desires their mother's milk. And that's about all they desire. They, they eat and sleep and make a mess. That's, that's kind of all they do. And when they don't get enough food or sleep, they scream and cry about it. And you know exactly what's wrong because all they care about is Milk and sleep. That's all they care about. And so as long as you provide those things, generally speaking, they're fine. And as long as you provide those things, generally speaking, you know, avoiding some disease issue or something like that, then the child will grow. And what do the mothers do with the babies? They take them for regular checkups with a pediatrician and, you know, okay, well, they're, you know, 21 inches long. Now they're 24 inches long. Now they're, I don't know why they're not that tall. They're always long, but whatever. And so... You know, they're getting bigger, they weigh more, you know, their color is good, they're, okay, great, they're growing, that's all I care about, they're growing. Well, they're eating. Well, that's what you need to do, too. You need to desire God's Word. You need to take it in daily. This needs to be a part, friends, of your regular daily intake And some people would say, well, man, I am so busy. You have no idea how busy I am. Too busy to eat? I mean, I'll bet you find time for physical food. (laughs) I do. But 
this is our spiritual food, and, and we need to desire this thing. And if you do, take it in and digest it, it'll help you to grow, right? I mean, this is simple. Okay, so in your notes, I put it this way. Listen, the Bible is a complete and balanced diet, right? I mean, the Bible it is referred to as milk here, but it's referred to a bunch of other things in other places. And so let me just lay it out for you. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 4, it's compared to bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In Proverbs 25 and verse number 11, it's compared to apples. Okay? In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, it's compared to meat. And if you go down even to verse 14, it's compared to meat again. In other words, that meat belongs to them that are of a full age. I mean, babies need milk, but you grow and you're ready to, you know, have some beefsteak, man. Psalm 19 and verse 10, and there's several references. I just picked one uh, where the Bible's referred to, the Word of God is referred to honey and the honeycomb. And here it's referred to as milk. And so you put all those things together, and what do you got? Well, you've got carbohydrates for energy, you've got protein for strength, and you've got vitamins and minerals to maintain your body strong. I mean, you've got everything that you need for your spiritual health and growth right here in this book. And it's, a, it's in a volume small enough that you can carry it around with you everywhere you go. I mean, it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, y'all ought to be happier about this than you are. I mean, this is good stuff. Okay, so Job 23 and verse number 12 says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's the idea of fasting, right? I esteem the words of God's mouth. My spiritual food is even more important to me than my physical food. And listen, none of us have a problem understanding how important our physical food is. So the Bible represents bread, apples, meat, milk, and honey. Well, that reminds me of something. That means that the Bible is also, you know what the Bible is for you? The Bible is your promised land. Because what's the promised land? That's the land flowing with milk and honey, isn't it? So if you don't want to live your life like the Jews in the wilderness, wandering around in circles and going around in circles, not knowing where they're going and how long it's going to take to get there and confused and frustrated and complaining against Moses and mad. and Well, that's the picture of an, an immature Christian believer. That's the picture of somebody who hasn't made it yet to the promised land. The promised land doesn't represent heaven. The promised land represents spiritual maturity. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. Man, you carry the promised land in under your arm when you walked in this building today. And some of you are wondering why you don't experience an abundant life in your life. I don't know. It's just that easy. We're to desire that. I hope you do. Well, it says we're to desire the sincere milk. The sincere milk. That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Literally what it means, sincere, is pure. You could say desire the pure milk of the word. Desire the sincere milk of the word. Listen, you wouldn't dare give a baby spoiled milk, not on purpose. That'd be terrible. Child services, come take your kid away. Psalms chapter 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, 
as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So God gave us a promise. He said that his words are pure words. And they're compared to milk. It's pure milk. It's sincere milk. And he said that he would preserve it forever. So that means that somewhere God has preserved pure milk for you. I wonder where that is. Well, let me just tell you, you better be sure that you're drinking pure milk. Not stale, spoiled, curdled milk. One of the most popular, recently popular, translations of the Bible is the English Standard Version. If you would look up 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2 in the ESV, it'll say this. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, first off, let me just say that it says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. If you read an ESV and and that's all you have and you read that, I don't know how you know what that spiritual milk is. Because in the KJV, it says the milk of the word. So you know the milk is the word. But in ESV, it's... Long for the spiritual milk. I don't, I don't know what it is, man. I don't even know how to find it. I don't even know what that... What is spiritual milk? That's the weirdest thing in the world. Because it doesn't define it for you. Well, it gets worse because whatever that spiritual milk is they're referring to, it's going to have the effect that by it, you may grow up into salvation. Really? Is that how you got saved? I mean, is salvation a gradual process that you grow up into as a result of desiring some spiritual milk? Or was it an instantaneous transaction, a free gift of God, the moment you placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, growing up into salvation, that's works salvation, friends. You know what that is? That's curdled milk. You don't want to drink that. That'll make you sick. Now, I'm not here to beat the drum of a KJV. I just find myself studying the Bible little by little, and as things pop up, I find it my duty to point it out to you. Listen, I'm an American man. You can carry any Bible you want to. It's none of my business. But listen, I don't know why you'd want to drink rotten milk when you can buy good stuff. Why would you want to do that? I don't understand. You say they're all the same. Well, they're not all the same. You don't want to drink that stuff. Okay, so the Bible is, for sure, the most amazing book ever written. I mean, this church doesn't have to pretend like it's the first time you ever heard that for Not only is it your spiritual food in a complete and balanced diet and the promised land flowing with milk and honey, in your notes I put this also, the Bible's also the perfect survival kit. I mean, this is amazing if you've never seen this before. Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. The Bible is likened unto fire, and the Bible is likened unto a hammer. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 11. 
and it's compared to goads. I wonder what that is. A goad is a stick with a sharp point on it that you poke animals to get them to move, okay? So you go, it's a goad. That's what a goad is, okay? And it's likened unto nails, Okay, Ephesians 6, 17, right? We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so it's likened unto a sword. In Ephesians 5, 26, it's compared unto water, the washing of the water of the Word. And in a bunch of places in the Bible, I just picked Psalm 119, 105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So check it out, man. The Bible is a hammer and fire and a goad and nails and a sword and water and light at night. That means with the Bible, you have weapons, tools, fire, water, food, light. Listen, if you had all those supplies, they could helicopter drop you with Bear Grylls on the North Pole or the Sahara Desert, and you're going to be just fine. (laughs) You've got every single, listen, guys, you have every single thing you need in this book. Now, listen, I know I'm preaching the choir. Most of you know this. You've been knowing this for a long time. But the issue is, why is it then that so many people, far too frequently, can't seem to find themselves laying aside the old life and infantile behavior? Why is that? I mean, hooray, amen, hallelujah, the Bible's awesome. But I had to put this in your notes as a reminder. Having the Bible isn't what makes you grow. You have to desire it. You have to desire it. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all the Bible, almost in the dead middle of your Bible, pretty much if you're not sure how to find it, just pick the middle, open it, and you're going to be really close. The theme of Psalm 119 is man's love the Word of God. And so I have a long string of verses I just want you to take a look at to see David as he writes this psalm, pouring out his heart and just telling the Lord how he loves so much, longs after, desires God's Word. And ask yourself as we're looking at some of these things, do I desire God's Word that way? Let's start to look. I'll delight myself in thy statutes. My soul breaks for the longing that it has unto thy judgments at all. Let's just keep rolling these verses. There's a bunch of them. Thy testimonies also, they're my delight. Make me go in the path. Go back. I didn't finish. I keep delighting. Okay, I'm delighting more. Let's keep delighting. Okay, go ahead. I've longed after your precepts, right? I delight myself in your commandments, which I have loved. Do you love the word of God like that? Okay, keep going. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law, Lord. Man, he just says over and over again that, man, this book, I mean, I hope it doesn't sound weird to you, but he's, he's kind of got a love relationship with it. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that because this is a written version of the very heartbeat of God Almighty. Why wouldn't you have a love relationship with? Let's keep going. I mean, it just goes throughout this whole psalm. Law had been my delight. If, if your law wasn't my delights, man, I'd be in big trouble, right? Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. Keep going. 
I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. I love thy commandments above gold. Oh, here we go, America. <laughs> I mean, do you really? Do you love the commandments of God more than you love money? How about that? That's something to think about. Keep going. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Thy word is very pure. That's why I love it. Do we have more, or are we about at the end? We've got a few more, don't we? Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. Talk about suffering in the body of Christ, but wow, the, your commandments. It's the delight of my heart. I love the You see the theme repeating over and over again. Do we have any more? I think we're getting near the end. There you go. I love them exceedingly. I longed for your salvation and your law is my delight. I think that's it. Here, here's the deal, guys. The question each of us, each and every one of us, and I don't care, myself, all of you, I don't care how long you've been saved, and I don't care, you may have done very well and you're walking with the Lord, but it's a fair question for each of us to say, do we long for and desire and love God's word like that today? Maybe you look back at your life and you remember a time when you really did do that. But do you still? Is it, is it proven out because every day you're spending time with him? Is it proven out because you can't wait to open it up because God Almighty will speak to me today. He'll show me something today. He'll give me strength to handle the challenges of the day today. I need to spend time with him. If that's not your attitude, then it's hard to grow. I mean, it just is hard to grow. And you know as well as I do that it's stressful for our lives. If we have to deal with these Christian posers that refuse to grow up, these are people that complain a lot. They don't study the Word of God. They don't serve. They sit at a distance and they judge what the rest of us are doing. They're never satisfied. They're demanding. They want you to serve them, and they want it now. And they're going to scream and cry until somebody hears them if they don't get it. They're like newborn babes. It's cute for a while, but they never grow up. Do you know why people act that way? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? They don't desire the pure milk of the word. Why don't they desire the pure milk of the word? Every baby in Christ desires the pure milk of the word. Well, maybe they used to, but now they desire other things. That's the testimony of the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 4. They had some good things going for them, but Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He didn't say you lost it. He said you left it. That means you found a new love. It means the old one, you know, it wasn't so sexy anymore. I found a new one I like better now. And that's what some people do. Hey, guys, newsflash, man. We don't do everything perfect here at FBC. We're just people. We're doing the best we can. We're trying to pull in the same direction, and we're trying to do the right kind of a thing. But let me tell you something we do here. As your leadership team, we spend a lot of time studying the Bible to understand it accurately 
to feed you. I, I don't need you to thank me for that. If you do, I, it doesn't matter. It's my job. I'm glad to do it. But we spent an exorbitant amount of time studying constantly so that you can have good, fresh home cooking. You can live off frozen TV dinners. You can survive. But it's not great. And you got, I mean, if you're a bachelor or a college kid, okay. But you're young and, you know, impervious anyway. But you get older and you start getting all kinds of health problems. You keep eating that junk. Frozen burritos only go for so long. And I'm going to tell you something. There's only 24 hours in a day. And I am, promise you I am not making excuses. I am trying to explain to you so that you can understand the challenges that we face. Because it is hard for us to find enough time in the day and the week to be available to hold everybody's hand through every problem that everybody wants and thinks they need. I'm not saying it's invalid. I'm saying it's hard to find the time. And there are a lot of churches out there that do a much better job of that. I will confess. They do a much better job of being by everybody's bedside every minute of every day if they can. And God bless them for doing that. But I'm going to tell you what, generally speaking, they're not doing. They're not spending hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in the kitchen cooking for you spiritual food. They're not doing it. They're downloading their sermons, and they're plagiarizing other people, and they're buying books, and they're reading to you the books, and okay, whatever. But it's refried beans. And I'm just telling you, if you really want to grow, you need to desire the sincere milk of the word. That's what the Bible says. It's just that simple. And a lot of people quit desiring the sincere milk of the word because they desire activities. They desire programs. They desire whatever it is they desire, but they don't desire God's word anymore. And church attendance doesn't make you grow, and reading Christian books doesn't make you grow, and going to certain activities doesn't make you grow. What makes you grow is God's word. That's the only thing. That's what makes you grow. And if you're interested in growing, you have to get into God's word. That's the way it works. So in our church, what we have done is we have organized ourselves to do our best to try and provide to meet your needs because your needs are valid. They're not invalid. Don't misunderstand me. Don't go out of here saying I said something I didn't say. That's why we have deacons. They are to help meet the felt needs of the body. That's why we have life groups. They are there to help meet the felt needs of the body. Do you have needs that you feel and you feel like nobody's meeting them? Are you involved in a life group? Have you let anybody know? Do you participate? I mean, if you don't, it's very possible that you're frustrated and upset and complaining and making a lot of noise. Why? Because you're not plugged into the place that can provide it for you. Again, I'm not excusing my time or anything. I'm just trying to help you understand. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. So the ultimate question I have for you is this, and it's in your notes. Do you want to grow in your Christian life? Do you want to? Because that's up to you. You don't have to want to, but if you don't want to, you won't. That's for sure. If you want to grow in your Christian life, well then, lay aside the carnal behavior and desire the sincere milk of the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. That was that season of life. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I put away childish things. And you know what? A lot of people, you know, listen, this is Laodicea. I get it. 
Laodicea is full of people who think one thing about themselves and God thinks something entirely different. They think that they're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and they can't see the spiritual condition that they're in. Poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. Now, just because we live in the time of history that is characterized by that doesn't mean that we have to fall prey to that. It doesn't mean that each and every one of us have to live our lives according to that spirit of the age. But some people listening to me today probably need to do that very thing. Put away childish things. Oh, there's a condition. We didn't get to verse number three. Here it is. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted the Lord is gracious? I mean, if you've tasted the Lord is gracious, wouldn't you want to desire the sincere milk of the world? Wouldn't you want to put away the things that grieve His Holy Spirit? Because if you haven't tasted that the Lord is gracious, then you'll probably still enjoy the fleshly qualities. You probably still enjoy malice and guile and envy, hypocrisy and evil speaking. Maybe you're feeling it now. But if not, I left this in your notes. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He offers you his grace in salvation. If you don't know that you're born again, you can know that today by simply calling upon his name, confessing your sins and inviting him into your life. You don't work your way up to it. You don't clean yourself up to get it. You just simply ask for it. It is a free gift. That is the graciousness, the gracious gift of God is the offer of salvation. And if you don't know if you're saved today, you can receive that gift. But some of you are here and you know full well that you received Jesus a long time ago, but you have gotten so far away from it, it's not even funny. And God can offer you that exact same grace in restoration. He offers you the the willingness to constantly and forever come back to him like the prodigal son and return. And, And he's waiting for you with open arms saying, please just put those things away and come back to me. And maybe God has that for some of you. I don't know. But I want to pray, and I want to give you the chance to respond. So let's pray together.